Mark chapter 8, I'll read verses 34 through 38. And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake in the gospels, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. We're continuing in our series, Mark's Biblical Answers to Puzzling Questions. We're asking the question today, what is important to God? Now, as we have seen thus far, the Gospel of Mark is packed full of events concerning the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, and this chapter is no different. Verses 1 through 13, we see Christ feeds the multitude. In verses 14 through 21, we see Jesus' Jesus teaching on the leaven. Verses 22 through 30, Christ heals a blind man at Bethsaida. Verses 31, 32, and 33, he foretells his death. And here in verses 34 through 38, Christ gives a challenge that others might follow him. Now, Jesus had been preparing his disciples for this private meeting that we see him involved in, and he intended to reveal to them what was going to happen to him at Jerusalem. He had given hints along the way, but now that the disciples had confessed their faith in Christ, they were ready for the secret, if you will, that Jesus wanted to reveal to them. He was letting them know he was going to die on Calvary's cross. And from this point on, the Gospel of Mark focuses on their journey from to Jerusalem, and the emphasis will be on Jesus' approaching death and resurrection. So we see here Christ and his disciples are now looking forward to the cross. And Jesus is challenging them how to prepare themselves to best follow him with this news. It's at this time that Jesus summons the people along with his disciples together and teaches them. And he's wanting them to know there is a price to pay for true discipleship. We notice he spoke here to both groups, to a large group of people along with his disciples, and he's emphasizing the fact that discipleship saves us from a tragedy of a wasted life. Yes, there's suffering in following Jesus, but that suffering will always lead to glory. So I'd like if you would to look with me, please, at this passage of Scripture And understand, we're just going to deal with this morning with verse 34. So before we get into that, let me tell you a little bit about this section here, verses 34 through 38. Jesus was issuing a warning to the whole crowd, as well as the whole world. You see, he knew the vast majority of people following him were doing so not because they believed he was the Christ, but because of the miracles they saw him perform 
And most of the people following him were unwilling to pay the price of becoming disciples. So now what he's doing, he's drawing a line in the sand saying, if you want to follow me, there's going to be some cost involved. No more is it just a show for you to come and watch and see. Now I expect you to do something if you want to be a true follower of mine. Here we see, we see he's teaching the supremacy of God's way over man's way by addressing differing perspectives of God and man concerning certain issues. And this passage gives us just four of those issues, but they are the issue of discipleship here in verse 34, where Jesus describes the differing perspectives of self-service and self-denial. Then you have in verse 35 the issue of life, difference in saving life and losing a life. In verses 36 and 37, you have the issue of value, the value of wealth or the value of a soul. And then verse 38, you have the issue of messiahship. Will one be ashamed to call Christ Messiah or will one confess before others Christ is the Messiah? Well, here in verse 34, we're dealing with this subject of the issue of self-serving and self-denial and answering the question, what does God expect of his disciples in this matter of following him? Verse 34, Jesus began his discourse with the words, whosoever will. Notice, and when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, whosoever will come after me. That particular phrase, whosoever will, is found 11 times in our Bible and is used a majority of times in the Gospels. The first time it's mentioned in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 19, we see God addressing the people, and it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken unto my words, which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. The last time we see this phrase used in the Bible is Revelation twenty-two seventeen, with the last great invitation God issues to mankind in declaring, and the spirit and the bride say come, and let him that heareth say come, and let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. This phrase, whosoever will, it means who, which, whosoever. Whichever, anyone or someone, from beginning to end, whichever gender, masculine, feminine, or neuter, and whatever tense, past, present, or future, it always means the same thing. It means anyone can respond. It indicates the personal responsibility of every individual in the world to make a choice. Whether in salvation or in service, Choose Christ or choose the world. Understand any theological system of belief that denies mankind the right and responsibility to choose for him or herself to follow God or to follow another way is in error. To claim God or someone else makes that decision for you is contrary to the clear teaching of the word of God. For we see mankind from the time of Adam and Eve in the garden 
Everyone has been given an opportunity to choose who he or she will follow. Listen to this. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to dress and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil... Thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. God said, Adam, you can have anything you want in the garden except that tree. He said, don't eat of it. God gave Adam a choice. Eat of everything else in that one, or we find eventually, of course, he ate of that forbidden fruit. I know a lot of people call it an apple, refer to it as an apple tree, not so. Uh, it was the fruit of the tree of knowledge and good and evil. But even if, It wouldn't even be an apple. The problem wasn't the apple in the tree. It was the pear on the ground. But anyway, God gave man a choice. Obey or disobey. Follow or not follow. Joshua 24.15, we see throughout scripture, God emphasizes man has a choice. Joshua 24, 15, he declared, And it's, if it seemed good unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that are on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He said, it's a choice every one must make. We see this in the story of Ruth. Ruth chapter 1, verse 16. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave, leave thee, or to return from following after thee. Notice, for whither thou goest, I will go, and where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou diest will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. When she had said that, she was steadfastly minded to go with her. Then she left speaking unto her. She said, I've made up my mind. I've decided I am going to follow you. God gives us a choice. 1 Kings 18, 21, Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. You see, it comes down to this in regard to salvation. Romans 10, 13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And as well, with service, we have the right to choose whether or not we will be a disciple, a follower, a learner of Jesus Christ. That's what a disciple is. So the real question once a person decides to become a disciple of Jesus Christ, is how do they go about being one? Jesus identifies three necessary characteristics of the disciple in this verse. A believer must deny himself, a believer must take up their cross, and a believer must follow him. Notice with me these three things. Mark 8, 34. We see, first of all, a believer must deny himself. Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself. Jesus is very clear in this statement. 
There is a life of self-indulgence and there is a life of self-denial. A person has to make a choice between loving comfort and ease or loving commitment and discipline. Loving wealth and poverty or loving work and compassion. Loving recognition and fame or loving humility and sacrifice. Loving position and power or loving service and ministry. Loving pleasure and feeling or loving righteousness and self-control. You see, the question is, are we going to follow the Lord? Or are we going to give our attention, our affection, our efforts to ourselves? We certainly would acknowledge we live in a very self-indulgent culture today. What Jesus is demanding of his disciples, what God expects of us, if we are going to be a follower of the Lamb is that we would be willing, like John the Baptist, and say, he must increase, but I must decrease. In a day of Twitter and Pinterest and Facebook and everything else that everybody's involved in on the Internet, where they're posting pictures of themselves, selfies, stories about themselves. Hey, I'm at the store. Oh, I'm at the barbershop. Oh, I'm at the grocery store again. Oh, I'm at the post office. I'm back home. I'm in bed. I'm getting out of bed. I'm having breakfast. I'm getting ready to take a shower. I'm going on vacation. People are nuts putting all that kind of information on the Internet. Why in the world do they think everybody in the world cares what time they take a shower or go to the grocery store? They don't. We don't. I just tell you right now, we don't care. But it's the idea that I love me so much. I want everybody else to get in on this blessing. How sad. How sad that people will spend so much time trying to draw attention to themselves. Jesus said if you're going to be a disciple, you have to deny yourself. The word deny, it means to disown, disregard, forsake or renounce self. Very simply, it means saying no to me and yes to him. 1 John 2, 15 says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. How sad. People will give their affections and interests to self and the things of this world that will make them happy, that will make them feel good, that will make them feel relevant. Oh, beloved, if only folks would understand the joy, the blessing of being submissive to the Lord Jesus Christ and his will, denying self and following him. To do so requires a continual ongoing dedication to Christ that every one of his disciples must make and requires we turn away from idolatry, self-centeredness, and every attempt to orient one's life by the dictates of self-interest. That's why Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. He said, I died with Christ on Calvary, but I'm still breathing. I'm still living. 
I'm still walking. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to live and to breathe and to walk according to his precepts, his plan, and his purpose. He went on to say in chapter 6, verse 14, But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. Beloved, that is totally contrary to the one who is given to self-indulgence and self-interest. In Romans 6.13, he tells us how to go about doing that. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God and those that are alive from dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Choose. Choose to yield to the Lord rather than follow sin. Choose to say yes to God and no to anything that is contrary to God's plan and will. Philippians 3, 7. Paul said, Those things that were gain to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. Those things that are most important to us in this life really don't matter much. But what we do for the Lord and in service for Him, there, therein we will have eternal rewards as we lay up treasures in heaven. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And by the way, this means much more than just being negative. It's giving that much more than just giving up something or going without something. It means we are to act positively by saying yes to Christ and his will. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Choosing to allow him and his word have an impact on our lives. The second thing we see here in regard to what God considers important for his disciples is in verse 34, whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. Just as we must decide to deny ourselves, we have to decide to take up our cross. Saying no to self and saying yes to following Jesus and his way. Cross-bearing was not an established Jewish metaphor. The figure was appropriate in Roman-occupied Palestine, and it brought to mind the sight of a condemned man who was forced to demonstrate his submission to Rome by carrying part of his cross through the city to the place of his execution. You see, there were two parts to the cross. There was the vertical or upright piece. Then there was the cross member. And the person was required to drag that cross member, weighing anywhere from 150 to 300 pounds, through town on the way to his execution. You see, when faced with conviction, some can be quite proud, arrogant, rebellious, defiant, but it's hard to be all of those things when you're weighted down 
with that cross dragging it through town. And so it pictured those who had come under submission of another. What the condemned did under duress, the disciple does willingly. Placing ourselves under the submission and authority of Christ by bearing that cross, accepting that weight that we carry through life. We say, Lord, I'm willing to do things your way. I will deny myself, step one, and step two is I'll do it your way. So when I was in the Navy, and this is probably true of other <laughs> uh, military groups as well, but in the Navy we used to say there's, there's the right way, there's the wrong way, and there's the Navy way. And we were required to do it the Navy way. Didn't matter if it was right or wrong, we were expected to get it done a certain way. Well, in God's economy, there's his way and no other. And if we're going to be a disciple of Christ, we do things his way. Or we're not a disciple. It's not like, well, I'm a disciple, but I'm going to do things my way. I'm a disciple, but I'm going to go in my own direction. I'm a disciple, but I'm going to decide what I do. No. A disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ bears the load given him or her and does what Christ wants us to do. Those who follow him must take up their cross, not someone else's. We take up our own. Whatever comes our way according to God's will as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ is for our good and God's glory. And by the way, cross-bearing doesn't necessarily mean enduring a particular hardship in life. For example, someone says, well, you know, I'm getting old and I guess if that, that's the cross I have to bear. No, everybody gets old unless they yield to the alternative, which is dying young. So for someone to say, well, I guess getting old, that's my cross. Well, having arthritis, that's the cross. No, no. Those are realities of life. We deal with physical pain. We deal with bodily weakness. But that's not the cross we're talking about. We're talking about the cross of suffering and shame. The cross that causes the world to look at us with disdain and reproach. The cross that says, I am a follower of Jesus Christ and choose to do things his way for his purpose and for his glory. You see, the cross is always an instrument of death, not just an object to be born about. The Christian is to die to self daily, and we are to let the mind of Christ, the mind of humbling oneself to the point of death, be in us and fill our thoughts. Galatians chapter 5, verse 24 states, And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. Paul, in writing to the Romans, said it's a choice. Choose to follow him, and this is how you go about doing it. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. 
To Timothy, he wrote, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And again, later in chapter 3, verse 12, he said, yea, and all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. It's not that we long for persecution. It's not that we labor for persecution and look forward to it. But by God's grace, we accept it when it comes in whatever form, fashion, or manner. Someone has said if we are convinced, as James 4 tells us, that friendship with the world is enmity with God, then we must be aware of the fact that friendship with God is enmity with the world. You see, it goes both ways. Love God, not the world. And when we love the Lord and not the world, we're going to find those who are of the world aren't going to be happy about it. Because the scripture tells us men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. Evil and good do not intermingle well. God says there's a difference between righteousness and unrighteousness, holiness and unholiness, good and evil. And God expects us as disciples to endure the suffering that comes our way for his sake and for his honor and his glory. Then lastly, Mark chapter 8, verse 34, the final, the end of that verse, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. What does God expect of his disciples? He wants us to follow him. The word follow means to accompany, to be in the same way with, or to take the same road as another. It's the idea of journeying together. If you want to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, you have to go with him. Not running ahead, lagging behind, or wandering away. Jesus said in John 13, 15, For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done. If we're going to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're going to have to follow him, walking the way he walked, living the way he lived, caring the way he cared, being pleasing to the Lord. You know, one of his disciples, Peter, caught hold of that principle. 1 Peter 2.21, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps. Another disciple, John, came to the same conclusion when he wrote in 1 John 2.6, He that saith he abide in him ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. Though Paul was not one of the immediate disciples of the Lord, he was an apostle as one born out of due time. He as well held to this great truth when he declared in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Be ye followers of me, even as I am of Christ. So how does one go about being a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ? Look, if you would, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16. I'd like you to see this verse if you're not familiar with it. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16. The scripture tells us, For who hath known the mind of Christ, that he may instruct him? 
get this, these last six words, but we have the mind of Christ. Seven words, sorry about that. Every one of us here who know Jesus Christ as his or her Savior, we have the mind of Christ. That tells us we have the ability by the power and spirit of God to think like him. And if we can think like him, we certainly ought to be able to walk like him. Philippians 2.5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. How do we take advantage of the mind of Christ when we have to do battle with our own thoughts at the same time? How do we let him win? How do we let his thoughts prevail over ours? Turn to 2 Corinthians 10. It's a good reminder as to how we can gain the victory and how as disciples of Christ we can follow him. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. How so? Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. My pastor used to illustrate it this way. You have one of those old wicked thoughts. You picture a cowboy swinging a lariat over his head, roping a calf and bringing it into captivity. That's what we need to do with those thoughts that are contrary to Christ. That's what we need to do to those imaginations that would take us in a direction away from righteousness. We need to bring them into captivity. Beloved, we have the mind of Christ. Let's exercise it. Let's use it that we might better follow him. What does the Lord expect of us as his disciples he expects us to deny self he expects us to endure suffering and he expects us to follow him notice this is not a negative passive behavior it's positive it's active it's we are supposed to will we are supposed to deny ourselves to take up and to follow These first two verbs, denying self and taking up, give direction to the disciple. And the third verb, follow, points to the actual doing of living out that direction that God has pointed us in. So here we have this instruction. This is what he wants us to do. This is how he wants us to do it. The question is, will I be a disciple of the Lord? The first two emphasize what will I do. The last emphasizes how will I do it. Yes, cross-bearing. The Lord expects us as a disciple of his to bear that burden for him. Let me close with this illustration. Some of you are familiar with the Passion Play that's performed every few years in Germany. Well, American businessmen a number of years ago traveled to Germany to witness the Passion Play. And he was enthralled by the story as it depicted the story of the crucifixion 
After it was over, he went backstage to meet Mr. Anton Lang, the uh, individual who played the part of Christ in that play. And he was kind of a, a, a forward, arrogant individual, this tourist, this businessman. And he went back and he started taking pictures behind stage and then took a picture of Mr. Lang and, and uh, then noticed the cross. It was over in the corner of the backstage. And he handed a camera to his wife and he said, here, take a picture of me. I'm going to go over and pick up the cross. Won't that be a great picture of me holding up the cross of Jesus? So his wife stood there and he ran over to the corner and he attempted to pick it up and couldn't move it. Come to find out, it was made of solid iron oak. It was a heavy, heavy oaken beam. And with amazement, he turned to Mr. Lang and he said, Why, I thought it would be light. I thought the cross was hollow. Why do you carry a cross that is so terribly heavy? Mr. Lang drew himself up to his full height and replied with dignity and rebuke, Sir, if I did not feel the weight of his cross, I could not play his part. The problem with a lot of folks today is they want a styrofoam cross. They want a light burden. They want an effortless load. Jesus said, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your soul. The Lord promises to bear our burden with us, but we have to be willing to accept it in the first place. And a lot of folks won't. They'll say, too heavy, too hard, too much cost, too much effort, too much pain. Not me. Then you cannot be a true disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was Charles Spurgeon who said, There are no crown wearers in heaven who were not cross bearers on earth. Are we willing to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ and meet these expectations of denying self, taking up the cross, and following him?